Thanks for downloading this episode from Teachers Talk Radio. You can find the full schedule and listen back to all our shows at ttradio.org. This show is brought to you in partnership with the Happy Confident Company, who provide clinically approved, ready-to-go wellbeing and mental health programs to help your pupils thrive in only 10 minutes a day. Visit www.happyconfident.com to find out more. Enjoy the podcast. A very good morning and welcome to the weekly review live on Teachers Talk Radio. It's the show where we review the week in education and a happy half term to all of the teachers celebrating. Today I'm joined by regulars Nathan Ginn. Ben Thomas, and also first-time weekly review reviewer Maxine House as well. So a very good morning. Um, our stories this morning are teacher deadline day. What is going on and why are so many teachers looking for new jobs and what pressures is it putting on school leaders? We're going to be talking about Joshua Sutcliffe, a teacher who has been banned from teaching for saying all sorts of things that probably shouldn't be said in the classroom. And finally, the reading recovery study that shows that phonics has won the reading wars. Or is it more complicated? We're going to find out very soon. But to start, this week saw deadline day for the teacher transfer market. Friday the 26th of May was the last day of interviews for teachers seeking to secure another teaching job before handing in their notice. Now, the actual last day for notices is Wednesday the 31st of May. But as school leaders will tell you, this week has been the week when the majority of notices are handed in. Now, as far as I'm aware, unlike the football deadline day, there were no yellow ties, no head teachers leaning through car windows talking to journalists, and no teachers turning up at the car park of another school only to find out there wasn't a job after all. Now, according to Unleashing Me on Twitter as school leader, he says that desperation is leading to a degradation of standards, people paying above market value and breaking the scales. Cold calling is becoming common, last minute resignations, teachers accepting multiple posts, schools offering after people have accepted jobs. The chaos is beginning, poor schools will suffer the most, price wars will become common, STEM teachers will get paid more than others, ECTs getting TLRs will lead to crashing and burning. And he raises a really important point about retention that I wanted to bring to the panel, and I want to start with Maxine on this. He says that money isn't the key lead to success in this crisis, creating a culture of belonging is. We've seen schools throwing money at teachers with golden hellos, performance bonuses and retention top-ups, but isn't this just a short-term solution to a long-term problem that isn't really going to solve anything at all? Maxine, over to you. Hello, thank you Tom and thank you so much for inviting me this morning um, for my first first panel. Yeah, uh, teacher recruitment is huge. I'm really mindful I'm probably a, a year or two older than the rest of the panel. So I remember being one of seven um, being interviewed for a geography NQT job many, 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 many years ago. And, you know, myself as a, as a school leader, seeing seven um, who you're, you're interviewing and, and way more in the shortlist phase for a, a main scale job in, in secondary and, and equally in primary is, is really unusual. Um, it, it's become increasingly challenging for school leaders, as everyone knows, and, and again, for schools and for, for children and for parents, more and more of a concern. Um, 
the the brilliant unleashing me who i have witnessed firsthand working his magic in in supporting recruitment across a, a large trust it is absolutely right it's more and more difficult and some schools that that i've seen recently i'm, I'm really fortunate that I, I get to to work in a number of schools at the moment and I, they're, they're really great places to work and it's still really challenging to get the the number and the the of people to come into there for for interview and to get to look round. i mean I, I do know you only need one good candidate out of, of any and if that that one good one is the one that applies it doesn't matter if you've got a hundred but yes um like unleashing me says getting new entrants into the profession is really challenging I think that's really important about it not just being about money. Um, and that's certainly something that, that I've seen um, across some of the schools that I've, I've worked in with, with the trust and with, with local authorities. Um, but again, particularly watching um, some of uh, Unleashing Me's work. So many of these schools that, that I've seen do have positive cultures um, and have really strong leaders who are working hard to make sure that work-life balance is right, that, that teachers feel valued. Um, and what's still even a challenge is making sure people know about that culture existing within, within your organisation. So yes, it is absolutely right. And when I, when I talk to the, the ECTs and the teachers who I work with, either through coaching, mentoring, or just you know, in, the, in their classroom and supporting them, they speak again about the things that are important to them or about feeling valued, feeling supported, making sure they've got strong systems around behaviour. And, and let, we won't go, go down the slant angle today, but strong systems around behaviour and strong relationships. So it's not necessarily an either or in that, but about the culture of, of leaders appreciating them and really calling it out when they've done something well. And when they've got challenges, whether they are from parents, which isn't uncommon. And, you know, when we look in the media, we can't be surprised that parents can be quite quick to be challenging teachers because if they follow that narrative, that is that is really tough. Um, but again, making sure that teachers feel protected. But again, I think one of the things that Unleashing Me has been really working to do is making sure that message is out there to people who might apply for jobs, that, that there are many schools where this is the case, where, where leaders are strong, where leaders are supportive and, and come and find us. And it's still a huge challenge. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that, Maxine. Um, over to Ben. Uh, Maxine's made the point about school culture and being really important. Money's not enough, is it, in terms of teacher recruitment and retention? Money can help, but actually be, but surely, but aren't the problems much deeper rooted than that? you I mean, working in a, in a, in a one-form entry is difficult because there's only so many leadership opportunities that you can offer people. And talking from kind of personal experience of where we are now, you know, we've got people who, who want leadership roles that we just can't offer. Um, and I'd, I'd like to think they're not leaving because they, they don't like the culture of what we've tried to create. You know, they've been there for a long time, you know, some upwards of, of 10 years and have decided now they need to move on, which is, you know, I've been there and done it and I get that. But it's... It's a seller's market at the moment, and and the problem is there are so many 
kind of sideways moves, class teacher moves, where if people go actually, as you, you know, as Maxine said, it's not about the money. It's it's more about the culture and how they feel treated by the leadership team. A lot. Mm-hmm. Of, you know what? There's so many opportunities for me out there. I can make a sideways move. I can earn maybe a little bit more with a, with a bolt on TLR. That, but it's it's very very difficult and and actually getting people to come and look and have a conversation with with leadership teams to start with so they get a feel for how schools are is is very very difficult um it you know i've always i mean i've been doing this for sort of 16 years now so it's never been about the money for me because otherwise i would have bowled and, and gone somewhere else but it you know i love what i do and there are a lot of people out there that, that love what they do as well but ultimately you know people have got to live and they've, they, everything's got to be right for them. And, and there's no reason now why teachers shouldn't demand that and shouldn't expect that from, from, from a job as there are in, in the public sector. So, yeah, it's, it's a difficult moment. Um, but I think, you know, as we kind of said off air a little bit, things will change long term and, and things will be better recruitment wise, you know, as, as those problems start to get kind of partially sorted, really. Cheers, Ben. And Nathan, really quickly, you can say whatever you like about cultures of belonging and ensuring that teachers feel welcome at their place of work, but don't some teachers just want to play, just, they just want to change, just to change the scenery, just want, you know, grass might not be greener, but let's just give it a go. And, you know, leaders and, you know, head teachers can do whatever they like to keep teachers there, but actually sometimes teachers just want to move on. Is that frustrating for from a leadership position? I think it's a good thing for the profession. I think, you know, I've always been of the view that moving around schools develops teachers, helps them, you know, um, in some places, you know, there, there's been a kind of stagnation of that because once you got a job, you there was a fear that you wouldn't get a different job or you, you didn't want to move on. So in that sense, this ability to move on helps. Um, I think, you know, so I don't think that's necessarily a negative thing. I think it makes it harder for school leaders, for sure you know, about how you keep people, like Ben said, how you provide opportunities for people to develop. Um, But I also think, you know, we might see some positive changes of this. I think uh, applications and job adverts have needed to change for a long time. They've all basically been the same wording in a different order. Now, as we say, you know, teachers are able to look, you know, what do they really want? But there'll be winners and losers. My big fear is that there will be some schools who can get staff because they've always got staff because they're in a nice uh, part of town, a leafy part. And some schools who found it harder will now find it impossible because they either have a bad reputation, a poor Ofsted grading, or they're just a more challenging environment. And those will be the schools that are already poorer, potentially, already finding things harder. So that's the bit that worries me most. I think movement's good, but it's from where to who and whether that's fair or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really interesting points there. Yeah, and very similarly in my neck of the woods, there's a school near me which has just had its inadequate Ofsted. And I know that the school is not inadequate um, in any sense, really, but it's a really lovely school in a nice part of, of town and it's got good kids and it gets good results and it's just had a bad Ofsted. But I know that those leaders will have been panicking since January because of the impact it's going to have on recruitment and teachers wanting to leave and not being able to replace them. But fortunately, the school's got a good enough reputation locally that a lot of teachers would be able to see through that. Now, this show is brought to you in partnership with a happy, confident company. We provide clinically approved, ready-to-go well-being and mental health programmes to help your pupils thrive in only 10 minutes a day. So why not visit www.happyconfident.com to find out more. On to our next story.
The Teaching Regulation Authority has banned Joshua Sutcliffe from the teaching profession. The 33-year-old was deemed to have failed to treat a pupil with dignity and respect when he went on to the daytime TV show this morning and discussed a transgender student using pronouns different to the ones the student wished for. Sutcliffe also voiced views opposing gay marriage in the classroom, and it was said that he failed to consider the potential impact of this um, when he was asked by students. Sutcliffe has since appeared on Talk TV and GB News, where he said that all sin deserves the death penalty. On his website, he lists abominations including abortion, homosexuality, pornography and Islam, as well as veganism and yoga. Sutcliffe does intend to appeal the decision of the Teaching Regulation Authority. Now, I want to start with Ben on this one. Um, the media has been talking about a teacher being banned for misgendering, but actually there's much more isn't there. And the media is only really getting one side of this. So I just wanted to know what your thoughts were when you heard about Mr. Sutcliffe and the decision to ban him from the um, classroom. Well, I mean, I think in recent months, teaching has had its fair share of, of media, whether that's positive or negative, I'm not sure. But, you know, for me personally, and obviously, you know, we need to be, be considerate about what we say here, but this was this was the most worrying of all i think you know it, it's teaching has always been and and should always be about opening students minds to to a range of, of viewpoints and kind of delivering those respectfully and when you when you impart your own opinions on very sensitive very personal very kind of objective viewpoint it, it opens up a whole box of, of of problems for everyone involved and the the kind of, I guess, the aggressive nature of the way that these views are being presented has been quite worrying. I, I think the most interesting part about this is that you're going to try and appeal the, you know, the, the, the decision. Who's going to employ him, really? That's that's kind of the key point. And, and I, I, I feel very, very sorry for those students that have had to hear those things that will probably be quite damaging to, to some of those. You know, that's that's really the key of all this. Um, you know the fact that that he's decided to make a media career out of it is is probably another bolt onto that particular issue. So, I, you know, I really hope that those students. I'm sure they will be getting the support they need and and kind of being given a safe space to to be heard. But it, it, it I just can't believe that this went unchecked for so long. Really, you know, there's other things that have come out around this um, about sort of certain clubs and and things like that to do with this individual. So. It, it was a very, very disturbing story and, and kind of, you know, for everyone involved in education would go against the reasons why they're doing it. Um, you know, being objective and open is is the key cornerstone for me in terms of teaching and, you know, having professional relationships with those students is vital. And mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, really good point there, Ben. Thank you about keeping it student-centred and think about the impact on the students as well. Um, Nathan, um, over to you on this one. Um, this is just an example of, you know, teachers are always told to keep their personal beliefs outside of a classroom. But is there a danger that perhaps even if he hadn't been so open about his personal beliefs, students could have been damaged or harmed in another way? And he may not even have been banned um, had he not been so outspoken. Wanted to get your thoughts on this. Yeah, I mean, you know, it appears from a lot of the reporting and, you know, reading through some of the documentation on it, that a lot of this is about the public element of it. You know, his YouTube channel going on this morning uh, and talking about a specific student those are big big problems but yeah i mean I, I don't know what would have happened had he had held these views privately 
you know, and, and I guess then there is a concern about people's private views. But I think, you know, I don't know how we uh, address that as a profession. You know, we obviously go through training, we go through support, if people had concerns at school through, you know, uh, things that were shared in, interpersonally, then, I, then I'm sure those would have been raised. Um, for me, I think, you know, we we are registered as teachers for a reason, and it is for this reason, so that a panel, you know, a, a system exists to judge, look at evidence, and, you know, I've read through some of the documentation, and this this is not a school pushing someone out necessarily. This is, you know, this is a panel of people looking at it, trying to act as fairly as possible and, and weighing the evidence. And I think that has to be remembered. You know, some of the reporting gets a bit flamboyant and, and you know, gives the impression that it's, a you know, one woke school who's pushed someone out. It's not. This is the profession. This is the professional standards. This is how we judge them. And this is a, a panel of people who do this regularly across the board um, to look at it. And this is over the line. You know, whether there is stuff that's below the line, um, I don't know. But there, there's a lot of hot topics at the moment. And I think we're only going to see more of this as we find as a profession where the boundaries are of acceptable professional conduct, because we have to find it as a profession. Um, I think shying away from it is, is no use whatsoever. You know, we, we have to have these things and some judgments will get right and some will get wrong. But it's about us as a profession finding out what's acceptable in a social media age and what's not. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Nathan. And yeah, I mean, the thing which I don't get is that he's using, he's basically saying, I'm saying these things because I'm Christian and these are what my beliefs are. Now, I've worked with many Christians um, in schools and I've never come across one who would, I don't think, even believe something like this or certainly wouldn't say it, let alone to a group of kids about, you know, you know, sin deserving the death penalty and that gay marriage is an abomination. Um, Maxine, I wonder what your thoughts were on the story and, also, and sort of any wider implications. Yeah, I mean, I think it comes back to that um, very privileged and very pivotal position that teachers hold and that that um, relationship, hearing opinions sometimes from teachers can be different to hearing them from any other members in society because of the of, of where we, we sit as teachers, hence the need for panels to really look closely at teacher behaviour. Um, again, the, the whole thought about people who hold on to such extreme views, holding a position in the classroom, takes us back at a time when we've talked about recruitment of the need for school leaders to really test for these things really really carefully right from the advertising stage saying what our schools are about and what our profession's about um, and then monitoring really closely and, and making sure there are you know suitable support for everybody. And of course, the latest Keeping Children Safe in Education guidance does say that school leaders must conduct yeah. social media searches of candidates before interview as part of the safer recruitment practices. Um, we've heard some really interesting ones on social media about this and actually how school leaders have interpreted this guidance. And one school um, where candidates were asked to hand over their social media usernames and passwords to a third party company in order to contact 
conduct an extensive search of their social media accounts, which may I just remind vet school would be a huge breach of GDPR, um, as well as, you know, lots of, you know, people's right to a personal life. But some schools are taking this incredibly seriously and are, yeah, going, you know, and are going above and beyond to ensure that um, the candidates that they recruit um, are, you know, not a danger in that sense. Um, we're going to move on to our final story in about 20 seconds time. Um, but before then, may I just remind all of our listeners, you, you can get involved by commenting on our YouTube stream and on our LinkedIn stream and by tweeting us at TT Radio Official, and that we have um, some, ad, we have some, we're recruiting as well not just schools, but we're recruiting as well. And we've got some hosting slots available. And so if you want to host on Teachers Talk Radio, then just drop us a DM on Twitter at TT Radio Official. Time now to move on to our third and final story of the day. A new study has declared that the Reading Recovery Programme has a statistically significant and substantially negative long-term impact on students' reading scores compared to students with a similar starting point who do not receive the intervention. Reading Recovery, whose UK branch is run by the Institute of Education at University College London, has long been controversial because its methods go against the science of reading. Children are taught to use context, pictures and other clues to identify words, a strategy that undeniably becomes less effective as text becomes more difficult. The programme is most popular in the USA, Australia and New Zealand, although there are still several primary schools in England that use reading recovery with young children struggling to read. Advocates for reading recovery in the United States have justified the programme's high cost, estimated to be up to $10,000 per student by saying that the programme reduces the need for further reading intervention. But the new study shows that students in first grade receiving reading recovery intervention had scores in the third and fourth grade between half a grade and a whole grade lower than students who did not participate. And there were no gaps between the two groups in first grade when the study began. So why is reading recovery and other programmes which don't use SSP still popular? In order to answer this question, I suppose we have to go to our teacher's representative for Wales. Nathan, over to you. Uh, Yeah, Um, it's it's not uncommon for it to be this to be the method um, of teaching of reading in in Wales. I mean, I I should put that out there. Obviously, we we didn't have the big push that England had on phonics. Um, And so... Uh, picture queuing and such is, you know, still a thing. I, you know, for those people who are listening and maybe don't know that, that means if, uh, and I'll give the example of my son who's at primary school at the moment in Wales, if he's reading a book and there's a picture of uh, a four-legged uh, ridden animal and he says it's a donkey, um, but the word says horse, that's considered an okay or appropriate answer. Even though they start with different letters, they contain different sounds that's picture queuing and and you can see why that would be really against the grain of teachers uh, teaching phonics in England would find that uh, pretty uh, pretty shocking um the thing for me about it and and the, the fact that this program has has been embedded in a lot of schools and how expensive it is is we need to get reading right and and not just for the kids it's incredibly important for the kids and the rest of their learning and everything but it's incredibly important for school leaders because it's really staff intensive and expensive 
you know, anyone who's taught a group of children to read or children to read in primary school, even if you haven't, a lot of it's one to one. A lot of it's listening to someone read. This is incredibly expensive. The Reading Recovery Programme talks about you needing uh, a 0.5 of a teacher to run the programme. You're talking about half a member of staff, you know, which is like 20 grand maybe for some schools to spend half of their day doing this thing. We need to know it works. And that's the bit that worries me most about this is whatever we're doing needs to have our best chance of success because it's it's a fundamental skill reading and it is harder and harder to get back once they get to secondary school. The staff just aren't there to do it. It's got to be done at primary. Thank you, Nathan. Um, ben, um, you, you work in primary. You will have been, you know, you said 16 years you've been working now as a teacher. And you so you've been writing the um, rough and ready of the phonics wars and the reading wars. And you'll be aware of the different approaches to reading. Um, what? Why do you think schools still want to use programmes like reading recovery, which are sort of more guesswork rather than science of reading? <clears throat> I think... <laughs> My my views on reading are that it, I, I wouldn't say we consistently get it wrong in this country, but there is a fundamental lack of understanding of what kind of children want to read and the fact that it's got to be from enjoyment and actually engaging in reading. And as Nathan said, that's very time intensive. That's very expensive because what in, in real terms, I've always said that there should be specific teachers that just teach reading in primary schools as there are subjects in in secondary schools because it's such a it, it's such a great topic it's such a, a, a fantastic part of the curriculum but the reason that schools will buy into something that sounds incredibly negative reading recovery program like it just sounds instantly straight away oh you failed you need to go on this program um is that there isn't enough time and it's packaged and it's it and we have been for so long in in this country systems based in our approach and you know and i i or eight you know they, they bring these massive books home from school that they're not really interested in but they're quite happy to read books off the shelf as long as they're reading and talking about it and discussing it that's the key thing that's how children learn to read you know and because there isn't enough adults and there is there's you know historically been less and less adults available to do the kind of one-to-one -one readings and the kind of okay well you're struggling with this part let's work on this the, the scheme the kind of one size fits all are going to be a much more popular approach as mm. they very sad in a lot of ways because actually there's so much good stuff going on in reading but it's just not it's not given the headlines it's not given the money it's not given the kind of the the fashion to show that it works so it's it's a very very sensitive subject for me um and it's it's something again you know probably needs to be looked at along with a host of other things in education really but it's it's got to come from enjoyment and a love of reading because otherwise it's just it just becomes a chore yeah, Ben's made a really interesting point there, and I want to go just to finish off with Maxine. Um, Nick Gibb in recent weeks has been held on a pedestal. The champion of phonics has helped to sort of, re, you know, revitalise reading in the UK, according to international data, which shows that the UK's, um, that children not in the UK, in England, um, their reading ability has held steady while other countries has fallen. Um, but interestingly, in the same studies and the same international data that shows that students' ability to read has held steady, students' enjoyment of reading in the last 10 years has fallen off a cliff. So my question question to Maxine is, is it enough to be able to read if you don't enjoy it? 
And I think that, again, when we look at the primary curriculum, it's huge, isn't it? Whether it be writing and that becoming formulaic and just doing it and ticking boxes, that is, is a huge point. And children will go on and read more and get better at it if they enjoy it. As adults, we will read if we enjoy it. I was a, a shocking lack of reader as a child and making it enjoyable is really, really important. So, yeah, no, I, I agree totally with that, Tom. Mm -hmm. <coughs> oh, excuse me. Thank you. Now, this show is brought to you in partnership with a happy, confident company who provide clinically approved, ready to go well-being and mental health programs to help your pupils thrive in only 10 minutes a day. So why not visit www.happyconfident.com to find out more? It's a really important time um, for students' mental health in exam season. So, yeah, go and check out the Happy Confident Company. Now, it's just time to round off the show um, with our moments of the half term. And I suppose we're going to start then uh, with Nathan's moment of a half term and then we'll move to Maxine, then Ben, and then finally to me. Nathan, kick us off. Uh, yeah, okay. So, I, I mean, I don't want to get into specifics because obviously, you know, I work with children with anxiety, issues that mean that they can't be in school. Sometimes they find, you know, we've sat our GCSEs this year and I, I think they children who find learning hard, um, sitting GCSEs, is another level because you know going into that that you're going to find 50% of it more really hard you're not going to know a lot of it and actually we don't give enough credit for that kind of resilience you know I know we're talking about things like the happy confident company and well-being these are children who need that kind of support and are going into exams where they're going to get most things wrong but they're still going in and they're still doing it and they're still giving it their best shot so I couldn't be prouder of the children and the young people who've done that this year uh, facing insurmountable problems with tests that they know they're going to do not as well as other children at. Uh, and they've still done it anyway. That takes all kinds of resilience. So that's my big shout out. Lovely. Maxine, your moment of a half turn. Um, I'm going to go with a similar shout to, to Nathan, who's talked about that for GCSEs. I'm going to go the same, but I'm going to say for children in, in Key Stage 2 SATs who have just really, really gone in and and done their their absolute best and you know again whether you're finding it hard or whether not just just gone for it and their teachers too thank you ben your moment of a half term yeah i i honestly i say it was a vaccine unfortunately but it's uh, you know we've had so much negative press about the sats and don't want to go into that right now but in terms of our children in our school i'm not a year six teacher but being heavily involved with them and not one of them uh panicked not one of them uh, walked out of there or had tears. Not one of them felt like they'd done a bad job, even though it was incredibly challenging. Um, and actually, you know, you kind of looked at it and thought, these children have been with us since reception. We've done our job in terms of getting them ready for this. And, and actually, as Nathan said, you know, having that well-being and that that care and and just the kind of the the self-esteem element that they had in tackling those problems. So, it, and you, I'm sure you'll get that up and down the country in, in various schools. And I think. It's very easy to focus on. It was really difficult. It was really hard. But actually, there's so much good stuff that, that year six teachers and teachers previously getting them ready for that have done. So, yeah, very, very similar to, to Maxine and, and Nathan was, was very, very proud of our students. 
Cheers, Ben. And I suppose I better round it off with the full house. Um, yeah, seeing some of our A-level students go in and sit their first paper of the series who had been through, oh my word, so many trials and tribulations. I'm not going to go into them um, live on air because, um, yeah, the stuff that they've gone through is immense. Um, but see, but seeing them go in and sort of half expecting them to sort of come out after five minutes going, I can't do this, but then lasting the full two hours, two and a half hours, um, absolutely incredible. Hats off to them. Um, so much risk. And yeah, we could, yeah, as a school, we couldn't be prouder of all of our students who are going in city exams after a really tough few years and absolutely maxing it. Um, so yeah, thank you to Nathan, to Ben and to Maxine um, for the weekly review this week. Next week, none of us are going to be here. Um, Lucy Newberger will be in the chair and she's going to be joined by, I better get this right, Shaniqua Edwards-Head, um, John Gibbs and Brent Poland for another weekly review. But until then, thank you for joining us. Make sure you catch up on all of our shows over half term, and we shall see you next week for the next weekly review. Take care.